that we can now use this time to come to God's and again um, if you have recorded a prayer request on there and during this time um, if you're just sensing a, a prompt from God um, ask for prayer for one of those things feel free to respond um, during this time feel free to walk over to the giving box there um, and to give that request to us, but we really want to to use those cards. We continue to become a people of prayer, um, and I know that if our goals here as a church are to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, and to be sent into the world to do what Jesus did, um, then we want to be a people of prayer. But I know that during that time, it can be a little awkward and it can be hard to share the requests that we have. I know, even myself, I feel hesitant oftentimes to share maybe any and every request that I have or any and everything that I'm praising God for um, until it's something really big. And so we want to use these cards because we just saw a lot of good last time out of people having the freedom to, to just share, to share what it is that God has placed on their heart. And we saw the fruit of it in you guys taking those cards home and praying for one another. And so I would encourage you um, to lean into that. And again, if God is calling you to respond at some point here, feel free to get up and drop it in the box. But now, we're shifting gears, and we are beginning a new series today. Um, We're beginning a new series in the book of Genesis. So we are going to be jumping into Genesis 11-ish and 12, and working our way through chapter 23 as we look at the life of Abraham. As we're looking at this man, and as we look at what it means for us to grow in faith, to grow up, essentially. And I'm really excited about this series. I know I say that about every single series, but I didn't mean it then. Now I really mean it now, that I'm really excited about this one. Um, And one of the reasons is that I think oftentimes we treat Christianity or we treat following Christ as Maybe just something that pertains to our internal, personal, spiritual lives, but not necessarily our entire lives or everything that we do. And so oftentimes, we will we'll seek out people to, to help us to grow um, in our work, in our relationships, in our parenting, um, and in all these different areas of life. And we don't always seek God, we don't always seek the Bible to help us to grow in those ways. And I think by looking through the story of Abraham... One of the things that we see is that actually the scriptures speak to all of our lives. That God is intimately involved in every single aspect of our life. There is nothing that is outside of faith. And so many of you know, if I have ever talked to you about maybe premarital counseling or talked to you about a certain situation that you were dealing with, then one of my like lines that you have heard a million times and you're probably sick of hearing is that to be a good follower of Jesus, to be a good Christian... It's usually what will result in you being a good spouse, a good employee, a good man, woman, child, whatever it is that, frankly, growing in faith leads us to just growing up in life. And I think even for those of us in this room that might think that maybe we don't have any more growing up to do, like maybe you're like Nick and you're thinking, well, I am just terribly old. I don't have any more growing up to do. I would say that all of us recognize, I had my chance, he was out of the room, then he came back. (laughs) But I think all of us recognize that regardless of our age or stage, whether we have known Jesus for a long time or just a little while, that all of us need 
to grow in faith. And I think it's through that, as we learn how to follow Christ, and as we grow in faith, then we'll grow up in every other area of our life as well. And so, in the story of Abraham, and in his life of following God, we're going to see the good in that. We're going to see the things that he did well, the things that God did in his life, and we'll see the growth that God brought out of him. And we'll also see a lot of the bad, um, which is one of my favorite things about the Bible, is that it is very honest about the characters. And it's very honest about our journey of faith as well, that in the life of Abraham, there was a lot of struggle. There was a lot of disobedience. There was a lot of sin. But yet, he's still this picture that we have of what it means to follow God and to have faith. And so what I want us to remember throughout this whole series is really that the best resource that we have in order to grow up to be the man and woman that God has called us to be is in Christ. It's in the scriptures that speak to all of life. And that if our fundamental focus in life is to grow in faith, I think we can trust that the rest will fall in place. And so that's where we're going to be for the next eh, 12, 13 weeks as we go through the life of Abraham here. But a bit of background on Abraham. Abraham, um, I would say, is one of the most important people in the entire story of the Bible. Um, Jews trace their origins back to him. Arabs also trace their ancestry back to him. Um, And he is, because of that, he is often referred to as the the father of faith. Or Jews and Muslims will often refer to him as Father Abraham. Because both trace their ancestry and their faith back to him. And so the three faiths that are referred to as Abrahamic faiths, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, actually make up 52% of the world's population. Um, and when it comes to the religious world, there's actually only about 15 to 14% of humans in the world that aren't religious. And so when it comes to the religious world, 66% of the religious world refer to Abraham as the father of faith, or trace their faith back to Abraham. They follow Abrahamic faiths. Now Abraham, he was mentioned 294 times in the Bible. 11 out of 27 New Testament books mention him. Just 4 out of 4 Gospels. And if you read through what Jesus talks about much, you'll notice that Jesus mentions Abraham a lot. He mentions Moses more, but he mentions Abraham right about second. But when it comes to Abraham's mentions in the New Testament, um, if you're familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, which is often referred to as the Hall of Faith, it's people who followed God and trusted God in the face of great uncertainty and problems. Um, there's a whole list of people there in Hebrews 11. And Abraham and Sarah are mentioned in the Hall of Faith. And Moses, one of the most important figures in the entire story of the Bible, he had some of the most verses in that chapter. He got seven verses. But actually, Abraham got 12 verses. Abraham had a lot said about him in the Hall of Faith. Most people just got one mentioned. You know, Enoch walked with God. Abraham had 12 whole verses about his faith. And then Sarah had quite a few verses. His wife, she had quite a few verses in Hebrews 11, mentioning her and her faith as well. And so he is a very significant person in the story of the Bible. And I think we can really look to him to learn what it means to grow in faith, to follow God. Now, um, this is a bit of a controversial question, probably not in South Dakota. But if I was to ask you what Abraham's ethnicity is... What do you think it would be? What would you answer? What is he? 
Jewish. Human, okay, yeah, yeah. Because there's a bit of a debate, you know, the Jews say he's Jewish, and the Arabs say he's Arab. And there's a bit of a debate over that, because both of them trace their families from him. But at this point, as we're going to see, we're going to see a bit of his origin. Um, He's actually not a Jew yet, not until he finds a sharp rock a little bit later. Um, We'll get to that story. Um, But Hebrews, not Hebrews, but uh, Genesis chapter 11 actually tells us that he was from Ur. He was a Chaldean from Ur. And you'll get to read a little bit about his family history there in Genesis chapter 11, which you're going to look at and you're going to think, this is the most boring thing in the world. This is genealogy. But I promise that's very important, especially just for understanding the history. But it's going to tell us that he is a Chaldean from Ur, which is now what we would refer to as modern-day Iraq, and at the time was actually one of the wealthier cities in Babylon. And so Abraham was actually a Babylonian. And if you're familiar with the language of the Bible, then you'll know that Babylon was often the epitome of evil. That Babylon was a picture of mankind's fallenness, of an evil world system that has rebelled against God. And yet God chooses this man, Abraham, out of Babylon. And what we're actually going to learn is that Abraham's father was actually a pagan religious leader. Um, In Joshua chapter 24, it says that Abraham's father worshipped other gods. He worshipped other gods. And we learn from Jewish tradition that they say, they teach, this is outside of the Bible, but they teach that Abraham's father actually built idols. That he built idols and he was sort of a priest in this Babylonian religion. And so Abraham was raised in this setting. He was from Babylon, the epitome of an evil group, And he was raised by an idol-worshipping father. But yet, nonetheless, God chooses him to be one of the most important people in the history of the world. And so we're going to look a bit at the beginning of Abraham's life here. And the beginning of Abraham, following God, growing in faith. So that's a bit of the background on who this guy is. As we look through this, since this is the first message in a series of messages on the person of Abraham... Really, I want to give you guys some background to him. And then we're going to just look at the beginning section of his story. And the beginning section you're going to see is actually quite a paradigm for the rest of his entire life story. That just from a few verses, we're going to be able to pick some themes out that we're going to see over and over again in his life. And so we're going to read through this little passage. We're going to learn what God has for us. And then I'm going to kind of give you those five things for you to be aware of as we move through Abraham's story. Um, But so we'll begin there in Genesis chapter 12. I just want to read through the whole thing here, and then we are going to come back and we will work our way through it a little slower. So find your way to Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, and follow along, and we will have the words on the screen for you as well, with hopefully Abraham's image in the back there, not making it too hard to see. But so, Genesis 12, verse 1. And the Lord said to Abram, which, by the way, his name at this point is Abram. It will change later. But I will just mix up the name left and right. And so don't even tell me if I'm saying it right or wrong, because I'll go back and forth. Um, But the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and bless you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and so Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Okay, so this is the beginning of Abraham's story. First time that we have it recorded here in Genesis, where he is called by God. And as I mentioned, he's going to have his name changed later. In verse 1, it says that the Lord said to Abram, um, and it's actually kind of a, I think, a funny thing that God does in changing his name from Abram to Abraham. Because the name Abram means, and there's a bit of a debate on it, either it means exalted father, so he's the father who is exalted, or it means my father is exalted. Most side more towards the idea that my father is exalted. And the speculation is that it's probably not talking about God the father who is exalted, but he was named this way because his own father was a religious leader in this other religion. And so he's named after that, after the fact that his father is a leader, an idol creator, perhaps. And then his name gets changed to Abraham, clever little play on words there from God, um, which means father of a multitude. Father of a multitude. And we see that in the promise, that he's going to make him a great nation. He's going to have many children. And as we look at world statistics, as Christianity, we, we trace kind of our faith ancestry back to him and all the other people groups that trace it. We see now that he truly becomes, as God promised, a father of multitude. And so God is going to change his name there. But it starts out, so God's speaking to Abram by saying, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, at this point, um, we don't have a whole lot of evidence that God and Abram had much of a relationship yet. But, nonetheless, God just kind of shows up in Abram's life here, doesn't he? He kind of bursts in and he says, hey, Abram, I want you to leave. I want you to go. And God really breaks in and interrupts Abram's life here. And this seems to be sort of a pattern of God's, is that God usually has the pattern of not having a pattern, that oftentimes he breaks into our lives, he breaks into our situations, makes these calls on us, they don't always make sense to us, and they seem to come out of nowhere, they don't always come at the most convenient times for us, but nonetheless, out of nowhere seemingly, God comes to Abram and calls him to a new thing, calls him to leave, to go, to follow him. And as we think through the story of the New Testament, we know that this is pretty much how Jesus did it as well, right? He would walk on the beach, on the shore of the lake there, saw some disciples and said, leave your boats, come follow me. Leave your tax collector booth, come follow me. He would approach people, not asking like, hey, what would work best for you? You know, March, April, um, when can we expect a start date? He just says, follow me. Breaks in and says, follow me. God did that to Paul, riding on his way to Damascus. Strikes him blind, knocks him off his horse, and calls him to follow him. Right? And God has this pattern of interrupting people's lives in order to call them to follow him. 
And many of you have probably seen this pattern as well. Or you have maybe sensed God, bless you, there's maybe destiny or something. But many of you have sensed this from God as well. Where he will often call us to things, and it's not the best time. But nonetheless, he comes in and he calls Abram to follow him. He interrupts his life and calls them to follow him. And he just gives them this command to go. To go. But it's interesting, in this command, still in the beginning verses here, um, God doesn't really tell him, he doesn't be, or at least he doesn't begin with the why he needs to go, but he begins with what he is going from. He essentially is reminding Abram here what he needs to leave, what the stakes are, and kind of what he is losing, essentially. Um, he's telling him to go from, so go from your country, your people, and your father's household. And you see, Abraham's homeland, his family, his people, his father's household, this was everything that Abraham had. Um, This was his influence, his power, his money, his place in society. And his father's household really is emblematic of his social status from everyone who knows him. And so when God called Abram to leave all these things, God was essentially calling Abram to leave everything that made Abram Abram. Everything that your identity is wrapped up in, your name, your home, your country, all these, all your possessions, leave it all. And so God is telling Abram right from the beginning, as he begins to follow him in faith, exactly what the stakes are, exactly what he's leaving behind. And what does it seem like Abram is leaving behind? Everything. He's leaving behind everything. And this is often what God's call on us is As well. He calls us to leave behind old identity, our old ways of being, to leave behind everything that makes us who we are, but to follow Him so that He would redefine our identity. And following God, and this is one of the first things that we'll learn in a bit that we'll see throughout the entire story is that following God is going to require that sacrifice, this this dislocation. And if you were with us last week when Pastor Tomas shared, um, then you'll remember his crazy testimony about when God called him into ministry and someone had, you know, volunteered to donate money so that he could have a bus ride from, he was in Chihuahua to Monterey. I guess that's the other way around for you guys headed down east. Um, and they said, hey, we'll pay for a bus ride. We have a ticket for you to go to seminary to become a pastor. And... He said, well, okay, I can I can take this bus ride, I can go, but I don't have the money to pay for seminary when I get there. And then Tomas explained that in order to pay for seminary, he had to sell his favorite horse to the dog food manufacturer. And if you weren't here, we were all just like praying, like, please God, make, make there be a way, like provide in some other way, because all of his other stories had those like miracle break-ins, where it's like, oh, I thought I was going to have to do this, God provided. I thought I was going to have to do this, and God provided. And it was amazing. And in that story, nope. God required him to leave everything, and he had to sacrifice to follow him. He had to sell his poor horse to the dog food manufacturer to go pay for seminary. So, following God requires great sacrifice. Great sacrifice. And whatever God is calling Abraham to here, um, if he's going to lose everything that makes him who he is, it better be worth it, right? Um, it better be really good what he's taking him to. 
this new land. And uh, look at the description of the land there that he gives him. He says, you know, I'm calling you to go to a land that I will show you. Great, that sounds like an awesome place, God. The reality is, like, think about this. Um, God just breaks in, interrupts his life, tells him to leave everything behind. Where am I supposed to go? God just says, start going that way. Go to a land I'll show you. He doesn't actually give him a destination. He just gives him a direction. Go that way. Abraham was probably wondering, where am I going? And God basically said, like, I'll show you later. Start walking. Start moving your life in that direction. And I will show you later. And even though that seems really vague and like it would just bring up a lot of fear for me, well, I know that in this situation, one of the things that God did promise is He said, I will show you. Because God is is offering His presence here. Even though He doesn't tell Him where exactly He's going, He does say, I will show you. Take you to the place where I will show you. And so God told him exactly what he was leaving, where he was going from. But he doesn't give him a destination, just gives him a direction. And then back up, um, Christina, to uh, Genesis 12, verse 2. Because then the last thing that God tells Abram is essentially the what and the why. The very last thing that he tells him. He says, I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And I'll make you a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so God does give him this promise at the end. You know, he laid out the stakes. He's going to lose all all of this. He gave him a direction, but it seems so unclear. But yet his presence is going to be with him. But then he makes this promise here. This promise that if you follow me, you will get blessing. Greatness. I'll make you a nation which is about family. And so if he's telling them you're going to leave your family, God is saying, I'm going to give you a new family. It's actually such a big family, it's going to be a nation. And he says, I'll make your name great. And so Abram is leaving his father's household. He's leaving his name, anyone who cares about who he is. But he's saying, I'll give you an even better name, better reputation, better influence, all this. And he says, I'll protect you along the way. Those who bless, I'll bless. Those who curse, you, I'll curse. And so God is saying, Even though you don't know the destination, you're leaving all this behind. I'll be with you. And I'll protect you. And I promise it will be better than it was for you there before. And then he gives him that purpose as well. In that promise is that all the peoples on earth would be blessed through you. And so God is saying, if you choose to follow me, it's not just going to be good for you, good for your family. But this is going to impact the entire world. And he calls him here to follow him. And so it's kind of funny then. I love the next verse in verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. He gave this promise. It's really scary. And in Genesis, you know, it gives this just kind of cute, pat explanation of what Abram did next. And this verse is actually really fascinating to me because on the surface it just sounds like, man, God called Abram, didn't even hesitate. Dude has faith, just follows God right away. But the interesting thing is that we learn from other places in Scripture that Abram didn't actually have this complete obedience, that he didn't actually follow right away. 
He actually hesitated quite a bit. And we did learn a bit in the text, as we'll point out, that even in going, he was very disobedient to some of God's commands in his following. Um, But you already got your little spoiler there from Acts chapter 7. Um, But in Acts chapter 7, it's Stephen's sermon. So Stephen was the first martyr, first Christian martyr, who was stoned to death. And Stephen was inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak, to preach. And so what Stephen is saying is from God. It's from the Holy Spirit. And Stephen had a little more insight into Abram's call and response to God than maybe how God painted it, I think very kindly, in Genesis 12. Because what we see here um, in Acts chapter 7 is Stephen telling the story. And so he's responding to people who are bringing charges against him, and he's, and he's basically walking them through the entire Old Testament. If you're interested in just learning the entire Old Testament, read Acts 7. Stephen lays it all out. Um, but to this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia. So that's Ur. That's not in Haran, where then Genesis 12 was spoken to him. Before he lived in Haran. God told him, leave your country and your people. And God said, go to the land I will show you. And so he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. And so it's kind of interesting that Abram actually heard from God. God appeared to him while he was back in Ur, back in that city. And God was telling him to go in the direction of what would later become Israel. And so if you go back to Genesis 11, that really, um, that recording of his family and the genealogy there, then it, it mentions how they stayed in Haran until Abram's father died. And then he traveled to the promised land. But what Stephen is telling us here is that God had actually appeared to him earlier than that. He appeared to him, said, go to the land of Canaan, go to Israel. And while Abram was going, for some reason, he goes off on this little side quest to Haran. And he actually settles up kind of on the Turkish border there. And so for some reason, he hesitated to follow God right then and there. And historical accounts say that Abram actually stayed in Haran for 25 years. He got there when he was 50. His father died when he was 75. And so he waited, hesitated to follow God's direction to the, where he was supposed to go for 25 years. 25 years. And there was disobedience in all of that. Because Abram was told to leave everything, wasn't he? Leave your family, leave your father's household, leave all your possessions behind. And in Genesis 12, he took a lot of things with him, didn't he? It said that he took a lot of possessions, took a lot of people, and very significantly that we're going to see later on in the story is that he took his nephew Lot, this guy named Lot. And Lot should not have been with him. Lot, part of the father's household, should have stayed back in Haran, should have stayed back in Ur, But nonetheless, he brought all these things with him. And so, Abram, in following God, hesitated for 25 years, disobeyed in bringing all these other things, people, possessions along with him. And yet, God is so gracious, one, he doesn't really even seem to mention it in Genesis 12. 
He just says so nicely. He went with his family. And God didn't give up on him, did he? God was patient. God was patient with Abram. He waited for him for 25 years before he followed him. And I know that God is very patient with each and every one of us as well. That God has called us to, to things very specifically. And we often hesitate. Or once we finally follow through, uh, we follow through but with some extra baggage along the way. And in Isaiah chapter 30, it actually says that, that God waits so that he could be gracious to you. Because it's in his patience that his grace is displayed. This undeserved love and mercy and blessing. And so, as we work through the story, and as we look at Abraham, who's called the father of faith, he is the perfect example of what a faithful person looks like. What we see is a man who hesitates, who doesn't follow right away, and when he follows, still doesn't do it perfectly. Because we cannot talk about human faith, about Abraham's faith, about our faith, without recognizing that it is all in light of God's patience, His mercy, and His grace. Because as we follow him, I guarantee you, we won't do it perfectly. We won't jump to it right away. But we need to know that even in the face of that, that God is patient. God is patient. That he's gracious. And eventually, even though Abram messed up, it's through him that the entire story, the rest of the story of the Bible, would unfold. Might have taken him a while, and he didn't do it perfectly. But God... God could work with that. God still had a plan for him in that. And so that's the beginning of Abraham's call. There's a lot there. We can learn a lot from that. But as we work through the next um, few weeks, really there are five things that we're going to go to over and over again. Um, Five really patterns that God is going to show us through the story of how to grow in faith. Um, and the first one, as we kind of saw already, is that growth requires dislocation. Growth requires dislocation. This is one of the things that we will see in the story of Abram. Um, and a more memorable way to say that would have probably been like, go to grow. But I like this word dislocation. One, because it's a long word. And it's, I think, I think it brings a bit of a visceral, like physical response out of us. Doesn't it? Because if you've ever been around someone who has dislocated a joint, then you know that as soon as you see that, you just immediately have this physical cringe, this visceral response. Um, I dislocated my shoulder pretty badly in high school, to the point that I actually had to have surgery because my labrum tore on its way out. So it looks like I have two little like butterfly tattoos right here. Those are actually just scars from the surgery. Um, but I remember it happened in a football game. I was hanging on to a guy, trying to tackle him, and then someone else landed on top of me, and so went like that, arm came out. And of course, you know, in the middle of a football game, nothing really hurts because you're so focused and your adrenaline's pumping so much, and so I like stayed in for another play and like tried to like catch this ball with one arm, and my arm was just limp. So when I finally ran off the field, I remember running up to one of my coaches, and I told him like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, my arm doesn't hurt, but it doesn't work either. Um, and so he goes, like, reaching in under my pad. And I, I'll always remember his face. Coach Lycon, he was in school to be a physical therapist at the time. And so he's like, yeah, let me look at this. I'm a doctor. 
And so he's like reaching his arm under there. And I remember he's like working his way up and he's looking very seriously. And when he finally got to my shoulder, his eyes got huge. His face went pale. And all he said is, you need to go to the hospital. Where are your parents? <laughs> I remember seeing my parents like sitting up there staring at me like, what's wrong with them this time? And so it was pretty bad. But this is the response that we have to dislocation. It's that face turns pale, eyes go wide, and we realize that like this is something serious. And this, I think, is one of the things that we'll see in Abram's life over and over and over again. Is that when God calls us to go, or when God calls us out, oftentimes we're not going to just be super excited. Like, oh yay, going on a mission with God. We will have that dislocation, cringe, fear. That's kind of a big deal. That is going to require a lot. But this is what growth actually requires. That without that moment, without that crisis without leaving behind, without separating from what God wants to separate us from, there won't be the growth that he has for us. And so this initial like breaking away in order to grow, in order to follow God, is painful. It's costly. But this is how we grow in faith. This is the picture of growing in faith that God gives us. And it's kind of like when you when you travel down a new path for a first time, a new trail, right? It's very overgrown. Bushes, twigs, everything. And it's hard at first. As we continue to obey and work our way down that path, it clears its way. But we have to be willing to do the hard work at first. That, that visceral, painful dislocation. And we see this over and over in the scriptures, not just in Abraham's life. Um, because... What is the thing that Jesus often calls people to right at the beginning in order to, in order to follow him? He says, repent and follow me, right? And so repentance is this dislocation. It's this dislocation we need. Because repentance is moving in one direction in our life. And God telling us, no, that's not the direction that you were to go. You're to go this way. And so it's repenting the direction that we're going and moving in his direction instead. And the stuff over here can be painful to be separated from. But this is what God called Abraham to. That's what God called, or what Jesus called the disciples to, and it's what he's going to call us to over and over again. It's this dislocation, this separation, this repentance in order to grow. And played along with that, the second one is that growth requires leaving something significant behind. Um, it does have a cost. Just like in Tomas's terrible story about his horse, there is, there is sacrifice. There is cost. Um, and for Abraham, that was his country, his family, his father's house. It was whatever is comfortable or familiar to him. Whatever's safe, whatever's known. And this is the message of the scriptures over and over again. I mean, all the way back to the beginning in Genesis, when Adam and Eve first came together, it said that man should leave his mother and father, he should leave his father's house and cleave to join to his wife. Right? That it's good to be married, to be with them, but you're also leaving something good behind. Leaving all that. And this is really important for us to grow. that To recognize that God often... Not only does he dislocate us from the bad, but God will often call us to leave even some things that are good. 
even leaving some things that maybe are wise or beneficial. Because Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, he says that the process of growth as a Christian is to leave the old man behind and to embrace our new identity as a new man. And he says, he says that you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul also says that we're called to leave childish ways behind, to pursue maturity. And so there's always going to be something that God is calling us to leave behind, that he's calling us separate. For Abraham, it was everything. His identity, all of it. And God will often call us to leave these. And so I think for us, as we continue our way through this series, with these first two, we have to consider, well, what is God calling me to dislocate myself from, to repent from, to turn away from? It's those those bad things, that sin in our life. And then he says, what might he just be calling us to give up as well? Maybe it's the comfort. Maybe it's the, the, the peace that we have of being in a situation where we're known. But God is saying that in order to grow, it requires this dislocation. It requires this change. It requires this sacrifice. And so I think we have to consider, as we seek to grow in faith, what does God want me to leave behind? What is he calling me out of? What is he calling me to sacrifice? We're going to see that over and over in Abraham's story. Um, The third thing that I think we can pull out of his story that we will come to over and over again is that growth and growing in faith requires us to trust God. You see, the same way that God called Abram not to this destination that was known, but just to a direction, um, ultimately what God was saying is, hey, I want you to follow me, but not because you feel great about the destination, not because you've weighed the pros and cons, but because you trust me. Because you trust that I will show you, and so you'll do it. Because oftentimes I think we're always trying to consider, well, what is the wise decision? What is going to work out the best for me in my situation? And God did not give Abram that, that information. Instead, he said, trust me. Trust that I actually have what is best. And we see that with Jesus. Leave your tax collector's booth. Leave your fishing company. Leave everything. Just follow me. Trust me. Trust that I'm going to take your life in the right direction. Trust that following me is actually better than what you want for yourself. You see Psalm 119, verse 105, very famously says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. And so God's word, the scriptures, God's presence, God himself is a light to our feet and to our path. But you know what's always kind of struck me in this? Is what is it that's lit up in this? Just your feet, just your path. But nowhere does it say, you know, my word is a lamp to your destination, um, and it's a light that you know so that you can get to that right place. Instead, God just says, my word's a lamp on your feet. You'll be able to see your feet, so at least you won't get tripped up. It won't be that painful. And he says, and it's a light on your path. So you'll be able to see maybe a few steps, but not the entire way. 
And ultimately, that's what God requires out of Abram, is you're going to see a little bit, but you won't see the full picture. But that's going to require you to trust in me. Not to trust that you know the exact direction, but that you trust that I will reveal it to you. That when you get to the end of the path, I will light it up. But for now, you can only see your feet. You can only see the path right before you. And he's calling us to grow in trust of him. Shows you where your feet are so you don't trip up. But really he's just saying, trust in me. And this is something we'll see over and over in our own lives. Is that God often doesn't reveal the end destination. Just the path. Maybe just a few steps. And we are just called to trust if we're following him, even into the darkness, that we can trust that the destination he has for us will be good. That his presence is with us. And so I think as we move through this series and as we look at Abram's life and how God just trusts him to put one foot in front of the next in following him in faith, then we're going to have to consider as we wake up every single day of where is God? What is he up to? Who is God speaking to? What is God speaking to me? I might not know the end destination, so I need to be really cognizant and aware of where I am. Where is God leading me in this next step? Where is God leading me today? Because God is, is walking with us. And we might not know that, but we can trust that he's leading. Now, the fourth thing that I would say we could pull out of this is that growth, while often painful, does bring great blessing. Um, and this one, honestly, is like a little hard for me. And I know for many of us with, you know, the kind of Christianity that we follow, which I would say is good, authentic, biblical Christianity, there's a bit of discomfort with, like, connecting obedience with blessing, isn't there? Something in that just is like, oh, it's a little too close to prosperity gospel for me sometimes. Um, but I think even though people have distorted um, the gospel and have made it just a guarantee and a blessing for prosperity and peace and ease, doesn't mean that we should then overlook in this passage the fact that God said, follow me and blessings will come. Don't overlook that. Don't be so turned off by the bad presentations that you can't even read what God has given us before us. Because God does give great promises to Abraham. He says, I am going to make your name great. I'm going to give you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. And protect you by cursing those who curse you. Right? That is a real promise. There is real blessing guaranteed. That God wants to care for us and to provide for us and to bless us as we follow him. And so, of course, what that does not mean is that following him will be easy and will just result in a great savings account. But in some way, I think we do have to hold to the promise that it does result in blessing. In what is better for us than we could have sought on our own. That might mean you end up being a martyr. I don't know. But that's a good thing. <laughs> Anthony and we're like, yeah, sweet. But this is what God promises. That growth will often be painful, but in the end it does bring great blessing. We can't always guarantee what that blessing will be. But it is there. It is there. And I think we just have to remember this, especially as we remember just how hard growth and following God is. That it is often painful. It's often painful. But I think many of us know that like nothing good or really worth our time is ever really that easy. right? If something is really easy and really comforting for you, you're probably wasting your time. You probably are. Like what is, what's best for us is often the hardest things that God calls us to. The things that are 
most meaningful and that are most in line with God's purposes, I always think that because of the fall, those are probably the things that will be the hardest to follow. Those are the things that our our sinful nature always wants to go away from. Those are the things that will have the most thorns and thistles from the curse, the things that the path will be the hardest to get to. But oftentimes that's the direction that God is leading us to. It's that painful path. And we know that even, even though we can go through the pain and the suffering of that, that following God on that painful path does bring great blessing. That on the other side of that is growth. And that's what God has for us. So as we work through the section of Genesis, and as we consider in our own lives following God, I think we have to consider and ask ourselves the question is, are we ready to endure some pain in following God, in growing in faith? Are we ready and willing to be uncomfortable, knowing that on the other side of that discomfort, there's blessing, there's growth, there's God's presence himself, that God is actually the one who has turned pain and suffering into something that can be used for our good, into a refining fire, into something that builds hope, into something that wakes us up to see him and what he is doing. Because that, that's the path that God is calling us to when it comes to growth. It's a painful path, but it does bring blessing. Last thing, number five, and this is something that I just want us to hear very clearly, is that God wants to see us grow. God wants to see us grow. That God is for you, and he is for his will in your life. God is actually the one who wants what is best for you better than you want what is best for you. I think we can all recognize that. And you see, in this life, as we continue to try to grow, as we try to grow in faith, as we try to grow in our career, as we try to grow in our relationships, I know that often, like deep in our hearts and in the hearts of everyone in the world, like we're looking for leaders who can take us there. We're looking for, you know, the next podcast, the next book. Um, we're looking for a parent, a boss, um, a coach. We're looking a pastor who will lead us to that place of growth, who will lead us to the place that we know God is calling us to. And I think that's just part of how we're wired, but. But what we have to realize is that that best leader, pastor, teacher, coach that we could ever have is in the person of Christ. It's in Jesus. It's in Him leading us in the direction that He's calling us to. That's where we will see the most growth. Because often when we look to these other leaders, one of the things that we will recognize is that we can often be let down or disappointed, right? We want people with integrity. We want people who will just continue to push us but not push us like so that we're just uncomfortable, that we get upset, but to do it perfectly, and that they would do it for our good, not just so that they would gather power and that their ministry, that their cause would thrive. And that's really hard to find out in the world. I'll just tell you. But we do find it in God, because this is who God is. This is who Christ is. He is that one who will lead in that direction and in that place. And he's the one who will do it in a holy way. So in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, he's describing God's, God's posture towards us, how God wants us to grow. And he says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So I want us to see that this is the posture of God towards us, towards you. That He wants you to grow. He wants to see you grow. He wants to see you 
spending time with him, made like him, and sent mission forth. And he sees possibilities of you changed by the gospel that you probably can't even see because it's just kept in him. But that's the fundamental truth is this is the posture of God, that he loves us and it's for our growth and that he has purpose and a plan in mind for us. And so as we follow God and the difficulties come and the dislocation comes and we're leaving things behind, would we always remember that this is God's posture for us, that he wants to see us grow, that he loves us? Who can be against us because of that? And the reality is that this this is kind of the good news. This is the gospel in general. And I don't know if you realize it, but here, in Genesis 12, we're being preached the gospel. We're being preached the gospel. And so as we look at what it means to grow in faith, also would we just see Jesus? Would we just keep our eyes focused on Jesus? Um, Because you see Paul in Galatians chapter 3, he actually explained how Genesis 12 is a preaching of the gospel. How growing in faith is all about what Jesus did. Because in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 8, he says this. Verse 7, we can start there. He says, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, which is us, by faith, and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. He said, All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so what Paul is saying here is, you realize that Genesis 12, when God told Abram that he was going to bless the entire world through him, he was announcing the gospel. He was preaching the gospel. He was saying, listen, one day, God himself will go from the place where he has all things, where he's worshipped, where he is at the right hand of the Father, he will go from everything that makes him him. And he will go to a land that is not very friendly to him, but through that he will be a blessing to other people, to all people, that in Jesus going and leaving, that he would create for himself a great nation, a new people, a great name, that all the nations of the world would be blessed. And so this little story in these first few, even just four or five verses in Genesis 12, are actually the entire gospel story. And as we consider growth, what it means to grow in faith, I would say continue to look for Jesus there as well. And remember that we can only grow because of what Jesus did for us. And so Paul is pointing this out and he's saying, well, listen, if God is the kind of God who would give up his son for us, who would give us what we need to grow there. And if God is the kind of God who has worked all things out for the preaching of the gospel that would happen thousands of years later to take place in Genesis chapter 12, then what we should hear from God, who is the great leader, boss, coach, pastor, whatever, as he calls us to follow him, is not a fear that this dislocation will be painful, that what we're leaving is not going to be worth it, that the pain along the way won't be worth it, but what we should hear It's the promise of Christ and of the gospel that through following him, that the growth he wants to perform in us and do in us is a possibility that we can't even see. We might not even consider. But he's beyond all that. And he still just calls us and says, follow me. 
Walk with me. Trust that if you follow me, though it might be painful, I'll show you this land that I've called you to. And I'll be with you that entire way. So as we follow God, we're going to have to leave things. We'll have to be separated from things. But Jesus is the one saying, I can make it possible for you to do that. I'm the one who actually made that way in the first place. I I cut that path so that you can follow. And so we have now this call to grow. This call to grow. Because really that's our purpose. That's the reason that we have been made. Just to be with Jesus. To be more like him. So that others would see him in the world. To be sent into the world. To do the things that he did. Preach the message of what he did for us. That we, just like Abraham was, can be conduits of God's grace. Because even though Jesus was the main way that all the people of the world were blessed, Abraham, this fallen guy who didn't follow the best, who hesitated, he was still used. That promise is still applicable to Abraham. All of the world was blessed through him and his faith. And I think that's the purpose that God has for us as well. The possibility that in following him, that he can bless all of those around us. We can be a conduit of Jesus' grace. That his spirit can work through us to the world. That he would use us to bless others. And so that's the call to grow in faith. It's to grow in faith, to be used by God in that way. So let's pray. We will respond to God in worship. So Father God, we just thank you for testimony of the story of Abraham. As we consider your call on our lives, how you broke in to our lives, though we did not even ask for it, you broke in, you chose us, you gave us direction, a calling, a purpose. We just thank you. Um, as we recognize um, the difficulty of that and just the great responsibility that you put on us um, to grow in trust, to grow in faith, to grow in dependence on you. We just ask that your Holy Spirit would empower us with all those things. Would you give each and every one of us today um, just the courage, the, the strength, the willingness to follow you. We just thank you that you're the one who, who began this work and you've promised us that you will finish it. And so God, we just now turn to you in praise. We turn to you in praise for being the God who empowers us and teaches us that you are constantly at work in us, leading us to grow. And so we love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.